Hey, Sober Girls. Every life choice you make has an impact, and some choices are just easier than others. An easy choice for me has been adding Exact Nature CBD into my daily routine. Exact Nature's products can help curb cravings while promoting the positive changes in mood, focus, and my favorite, sleep. These are all part of getting and staying sober. They're available in oils, soft gels, and gummies, and in varying strengths and formulas. What I love most about Exact Nature is I know the quality is top tier and safe because their products are made by people in recovery for people in recovery. Go to exactnature.com to get 20% off your order. Use code SOBERGIRL20 at checkout. Being positive is a choice. Exact Nature just makes it easier. Welcome to a Sober Girl's Guide podcast, a lifestyle podcast based on sobriety and recovery. I'm your host and sober girl, Jessica Jabot. Inspired by my own sobriety and wellness journey, I want to spread the wealth of knowledge. Tune in each week for uncensored conversations about mental health, self-development, wellness and spirituality, and how they influence each guest's unique recovery journey. My goal is to educate and inspire and to let you know you are not alone on your recovery journey. Thanks so much for tuning in to a Sober Girls Guide podcast. Let's go! Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 105 of a Sober Girls Guide podcast. On today's episode, I talk to the lovely, the talented, the hilarious Jennifer Storm. Yes, that is her real name. She is a wife, mother, author, and a sober girl. Now this episode might be a little bit triggering. We talk a lot about sexual violence, sexual assault, and Jennifer walks us through her experience with that. She talks about the link between sexual violence and addiction and what that meant for her. We also talk about how to find a great trauma therapist and how her book can help you overcome and heal, set you free on a path to recovery. This episode is fantastic. Let's get into it. Being hungover, dragging ass, throwing up, blacking out, drunk texting your ex, feeling like absolute shit is boring. I did this day in and day out. And let me tell you, there is nothing new, no surprises or excitement. Just the same old, same old every time I drank. Sobriety isn't boring. It's power. Sobriety has granted me freedom, safety, security, trust, consistency, success, love, relationships, life. You've seen where drinking has taken you. Why not try something different? Live on the edge and see what you have to gain by going booze-free for 30 days. Take the 30 days to gain booze-free challenge now. It starts as soon as you sign up. Take a walk on the wild side and head to a sobergirlsguide.com and sign up today. Uh, Jennifer Storm, I think you have the best name in the world. <laughs> Hello. Hello, how are you doing today? I'm wonderful. How are you? I am fantastic, and I'm so excited to talk to you. Uh, you are a wife, a, a mother, an author, you are a sober girl, you are in recovery. Is there anything that you can't do? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's 2020. Don't go there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. You know what? Let's not jump the gun here. Let's not get carried away. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. Where are you right now in the world? I am in Camp Hill, Pennsylvania, which is this tiny little borough outside of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Nice. And did you grow up there? I grew up in Pennsylvania, so I'm from actually the Lehigh Valley area, which okay. people conjures Billy Joel for them, you know, Allentown. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I grew up in that area, and then I went to college at Penn State, and then moved to Harrisburg to take a job. So I've been here in Harrisburg ever since. Nice. So I want to talk about all these amazing things you're doing um, with Blackout Girl, you know, you're republishing the book and all that good stuff, but... I want to know if you can take us back, like pre being an author and a super mom and wife and all that good sober girl stuff. Can you take us back to the good old days and what, would, what it was like pre sobriety and recovery? 
Yeah. So some good days, right? Mm -hmm. I I think we tend to like romanticize some of them too much, but, um, I started drinking at a really young age and, Mm. uh, I come from a history of alcoholics and, and addicts. So it's very much embedded in both sides of my, my family, my mom's side and my dad's side. Right. And so, you know, I definitely think I was predisposed, but the first time I ever drank, I drank alcoholically and, and then I was raped. And so, you know, it's this horrific experience. And I was 12, 12 years old. Oh my and, gosh. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I was introduced to alcohol from a friend, a trusted friend, and I didn't, you know, you don't know how you're going to drink the first time you drink and you, and when you're 12, right, you don't know anything. And so what I didn't expect was this ability to consume uh, a high level of alcohol and then to blackout. Right. So I was introduced to a blackout that night. I was, I was raped. It was just this horrific experience. Um, and so I did end up, you know, I had a rape exam done. I, we prosecuted, there was a whole, you know, it's a big chunk of the story in my first memoir, blackout girl. And what I did to cope was I kept drinking, um, because I, what I found in alcohol was this escape. Right. And so, you know, for the most part, prior to that incident, my life was pretty good. I, you know, I was a good student, straight A's, um, I was a cheerleader. I, you know, my parents were decent. I mean, they, they came from their own very abusive backgrounds. So they had their own demons to slay that they really just had no tools with which to do. Mm-hmm. My father was a Vietnam vet. So he had PTSD. Plus he was abused as a child. So all of these kind of, you know, adverse childhood experiences that we, we know of today, my parents had those, but didn't know how to deal with it. Right. So then introduce their only daughter going through this horrific traumatic experience. They had no idea what to do with me. And what I know now is that it also conjured up their own trauma. Yeah. And it's just, we were all a mess, right? So nobody talked about what happened to me. I mean, we went through the mechanics of the court process, but really we just didn't talk about it. I, I like to, I call it like that suburban silence that happens to fall upon households, especially back in the eighties and nineties. We just didn't talk about these things. And so everyone just kind of went about their life, but I was this like hollowed out shell of myself. And I didn't, I had PTSD, even though it wasn't obviously diagnosed back then, I couldn't sleep. Mm-hmm. I was afraid of everything. I had extreme anxiety. I had these irrational fears that he was coming back to to get me, even though I knew he was incarcerated. Um, you know, just all that typical aftermath of sexual trauma, but I didn't have an advocate. My dad tried to get me into a counselor once after uh, I had a suicide attempt very shortly after I was raped um, and it involved drugs and alcohol. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wasn't trying to kill myself so much as I was trying to kill the pain. Yeah. And, trying to put action to what I couldn't put words to. And so, but you know, I wasn't ready to talk to a therapist. I was, I had, I had turned 13. So I just, I started drinking because drinking allowed me to numb and it allowed me to escape and it spiraled into drugs. And, you know, if somebody had something that said, then they said, Hey, this is fun. I did it. Right. So then I started taking pills. Then I quickly started smoking marijuana then it went to um, acid. The problem for me is it was always about alcohol. Like alcohol was my favorite. It was my first, but I drank alcoholically every time and I blacked out. And so blackouts weren't really a safe thing for me. I didn't like waking up the next day. I didn't like having pieces of my evening missing. And then as you know, I grew up, other violations happened during those times. And so I was introduced to the drug cocaine and ah. that woke me up. Yeah. <laughs> right. Going. Yeah. So that became like my constant alcohol's constant companion. Like right. I couldn't do one without the other. If I started drinking, it was like almost like my internal um, security system went off and said, Oh, before the blackout, before the blackout, get the cocaine. So you don't black out. Right. Right. Yeah. And so one never happened without the other. And, and I eventually turned to crack cocaine um, wow. after some other pretty traumatic events in my life unfolded. So yeah. So like by 17 years old, I'm a full fledged crackhead. Um, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And completely and solely dependent upon alcohol. Right. Yeah. It's a mess. Holy cow. Oh my gosh. 12 years old, Jennifer. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So my entire 
adolescent and, you know, beginning of adulthood is, you know, was just really steeped in, in darkness and addiction. And, you know, I missed out on a lot, Um, you know, certainly um, just being able to be a kid and being able to kind of properly go through those, those adolescent experiences in, in a way that maybe had any type of joy, my mine were not, um, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I, I got clean and sober at 22. So, okay. you know, about 10 years of this, of this, um, kind of pretty significant, uh, drug and alcohol addiction. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there were, there were arrests, there were job losses, relationship losses, complete and utter confusion and chaos. I mean, where I went, chaos and drama followed. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just, I was, a. I, it's funny. My last name is Storm. And I used to be called <laughs> Hurricane when I was a kid. And that was not by mistake. I mean, like, I literally walked into a room and it was like, you know, it, it was like a mess um, constantly. But right. I didn't know any better. You know, right. I, didn't, I didn't know how else to deal with the fear and the anxiety and the confusion and the anger that I had. Um, you know, and then, of course, yeah. when you're an addiction for so long other things happen that make you angry and sad and you know all these other things continue to happen so it's like this compilation of layered trauma that I carried mm-hmm. um at 22 how did you go about getting sober like how did you change after growing up and and living your your adolescence in this darkness so I didn't choose it. I can okay. tell you that. I, in fact, unfortunately, I chose a darker path. I, my, ah. yeah, I had a really traumatic thing happen at, at 22. My mom died in my arms um, oh. of breast cancer. And it was almost like every trauma that I was trying to conceal with drugs and alcohol, the death of my mom was like, it, it was too much. And um mm. It was, there were there just weren't enough drugs. There weren't enough alcohol to conceal a pain, that pain because it was layered on top of all these other pains. And I think I was also in my twenties, and so we know cognitively when you get into your twenties, you start to, you know, develop more of a prefrontal cortex. You start to remember things a little bit more. So I was starting to have flashbacks and some pretty significant nightmares regarding the past assaults. So it all kind of right. came this really volcanic head, and I didn't think that I could. Um, do anything else. I didn't think there was another way out. And so I tried to kill myself. And this time I meant it. I, I right. really was fully intent on killing myself. And thankfully, yeah. um, I survived that attempt. And when I woke up the next day in the hospital, you know, the doctor just kind of looked at me and he said, you're really lucky to be alive. And I believed him. And yeah. you know, we talk about, we hear about these things in recovery, right? Whether it's a spiritual awakening, whether it was a moment of clarity, I don't know what happened. I just, I knew all of a sudden that there was this little space inside of me that, that felt like hope. Mm. And so I, I, I clung, I just kind of clung onto it. And when they told me, you know, cause I was in a psych ward cause you know, that's, that's where they put you when you, when you do that, mm-hmm. when they, they looked at me and said, you know, your assessment reveals that you have a drug and alcohol addiction we want to send you to a rehab. Are you willing? I said, mm-hmm. yes. And that was really, oh. I, yeah, I immediately was like, absolutely. And I just, wow. It, it's almost like it just clicked. It clicked into my head that, yeah. okay, this, this isn't working. And in fact, this almost killed me. So mm-hmm. since I'm here, there must be something else. Now I didn't know what that something else was, yeah. but I was willing to make the admission that what I was using as a solution for 10 years was really my problem. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. I, I mean, just even hearing you say yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause it, it takes just, so long, you know that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh yes. Uh, yeah. 10 years sounds about right. Um, yeah. Wow. But with all that trauma and all just your past, how, how did you get through rehab and how did you get through treatment? So I went to a rehabilitation facility here in Pennsylvania and it was interesting when I went into detox, you know, they did the kind of assessment like they always do, you know, Mm -hmm. questions, you know, drug of choice, your name, blah, blah, blah. And they actually asked me, have you ever been sexually assaulted? And Mm -hmm. I, I answered, I was cautious, but I answered yes. Mm -hmm. And I just saw her kind of check something. And then all that meant was I got transferred to a women's unit. 
Uh, there was nothing else there to cope with that trauma to, there was no specific programming for that trauma. Right. So it was just, obviously it was not trauma informed. And quite frankly, to even today, there are very few facilities that are trauma informed. They're just starting to understand and appreciate the linkage. Yeah. And so, so I really didn't feel safe talking about that, but I will say this, there was a girl that came in, or I guess I, I would call her a woman who came in um, to, to give her story, right? Like it was, it was speaker night at rehab. And mm-hmm. so you know, she came in to share her experience, strength and hope. And I remember a couple things about her. First of all, she was just so put together and so beautiful. And I remember thinking like, Oh God, I want what she has. Like, she just looked like she really had her shit together. And yeah. I clearly did not, you know, like back row at a rehab first night you know, stints on my arm. So it was, it was not a pretty picture. And as she started talking, she started to share my darkest secrets. And then she said the thing that changed my life forever. And she said, it was these secrets that kept me sick. And I remember sitting there just thinking like, holy shit. First of all, I thought I was unique. I thought no one else had ever been through half of the stuff that I had experienced. Mm -hmm. let alone would be willing to stand in front of a crowd and talk about them. Mm -hmm. And then for her to say that it was those very things that kept her in her disease, it just all clicked for me. Like really like in one moment it clicked. And I was like, the stuff that I have been running from is the stuff that I'm going to have to deal with if I want to stop running. Yeah. And now my facility was not equipped to do that with me. And so, okay. You know, it, cause it was, it, it was a very 12 step themed recovery mm-hmm. center. So, you know, they have their, dun, 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 you know, and <laughs> you know, the, the, the dun, dun, dun of 12 steps, yes. um, not, not saying anything negative 12 steps were amazing. They played an integral role in my life. I am a believer that there are so many other components that need to be infused into that model or that accompany that model that really give us whole living, but we'll get yes. to that. Yes, ma'am. Um, yeah. Um, they were. They helped. They helped, yeah. right? I started going about doing the work of the 12 steps. But I also started writing. Um, ah. Because the spaces in rehab, and then I went on to a halfway house, because those places weren't safe for me to talk about being raped, right? Like, mm-hmm. in fact, I, I remember one time I did try to talk about it in a meeting, and I was immediately shut down and told it was an outside issue. Whoa. Yeah. And I was like, okay, so the reasons um, views are considered an outside issue and I can't bring them here. So where the hell am I supposed to take this shit? Right? Yeah, exactly. So, and it also made me really distrustful of, yeah. of ever opening up in, in the rooms about those experiences. Yes. So I started writing and I trusted my journal. Um, and then I eventually, so I went from rehab to a halfway house and then I didn't know where to go because um, my father had remarried and my father had always been very, very supportive and wonderful. And my stepmother is this amazing human being, but quite frankly, they didn't want my hot mess ass back. You know, <laughs> and like, they were like, yeah. ah, um, you should, you should really keep doing what you're doing, but just not here. And right. so I decided I did the one thing in rehab you're not supposed to do. And that's, I got into a relationship. Um, awesome. Yeah, because that's what we do. I was yeah. like, oh, I can't use I can't use drugs and alcohol, but I can use you. Yes. So I <laughs> and I was still very lost in that area. Very lost. Mm. And so I moved to State College to um for this relationship. So okay. State College is where Penn State University is, which is quite ironic because so many of my friends that I went to high school with, you know, went to Penn State. That was like the holy grail of schools. And I only ever went there to party and then I would you know come home. And so the fact that I moved to like the number one party school in the country to continue getting sober is just ridiculous, but I did. Um, And so quickly, obviously that relationship just crashed and burned because it was problematic for 80 million reasons. Yeah. But what it did was it brought me to this new place where I Hmm. felt like I could maybe build a foundation. And so I did that. I started going to like a hundred meetings. Literally I would go to like two, three meetings a day. Yep. But I also found a therapist uh, and that's who I started to really open up to when it came to. I think we can all agree that anxiety is so 2023. Say peace out to anxiety and overwhelm with chill vibe gummies made with ashwagandha root, L-theanine, GABA, 
chamomile flower, and lemon balm, these gluten-free, vegan, non-GMO gummies are the perfect way to change your vibe naturally, and most importantly, safely. Whenever I tried medication for my anxiety, I was always hit with extreme side effects that made me feel paranoid or just completely numbed of all emotions, the good and the bad. Chill Vibe Gummies make you feel like you, just minus the anxiety. Go to vibegummies.com to get your gummies today. That's V-I-B-E gummies.com. Really unveiling the rapes and um, kind of unpacking all of that trauma that I had been just storing. Right. And um, yeah. I have a question for you for in terms of like finding a therapist. I love therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of people are like, oh, well, it's not just not that person's not for me. What qualities did you look for in a therapist to feel safe and feel, you know, that you could open up and talk about your, your past and in particular your rape? Yeah. So for me, I needed a female. Okay. And that was just, that was just where I was at the time. It's yep. just who I trusted. Um, so that, that was a big thing. And, and then quite frankly, at that time, mm-hmm. I didn't know what else I was looking for. And so okay. I wasn't, I wasn't keen enough to know. Now today, knowing what I know, I would say that, you know, look for individuals who have training in various therapeutic modalities that aid in trauma recovery, which okay. would be like your EMDR therapies, your, um, you know, anything that's going to deal with post-traumatic stress disorder, um, right. you know, any of those cognitive behavioral um, type of uh, therapeutic modalities that are, that are specific to traumatic memory, because it's it's not an easy um, process to engage and you want someone who's gentle, who's Mm -hmm. trained and who understands the neurobiology behind trauma Uh, because they don't, they could do more harm, right? Right. If you pull too much out of somebody too soon and they're not in the right place, you, that could lead them to, to some dangerous places. So you have to have somebody who's skilled and who knows what they're doing. So they need to be trauma certified. Um, you know, so I would look for certifications. I would look for the, or ask, you know, like what, what certifications do you have? What specific trainings have you, have you undergone? And then, you know, if, if you want to also maybe ask for like referrals from other rape crisis agencies or other counseling entities that you do trust. But back then all I knew was a female, like that's what I was like. I just right. can't talk to a guy about this. I'm not talking to a dude about this. That's where yeah. I was. <laughs> yeah. Understandable. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And I I lucked out. Like I just, she was just wonderful and and really gentle and sweet. Um, Yes. I got really lucky. Great. Okay. So therapy was rocking for you. You were building this new life. Yeah. And then, you know, I, um, I decided to apply to Penn state. It had been, so I got sober in 1997. Okay. So right around like the end of 1998, my, um, my therapist was like, you know, why don't you consider going to school here? You've lived here now for a year. You're a resident. You could apply. And I kind of just laughed at her because I never took the SATs because I was high that day. Yeah. And I had like a 1.3 GPA. <laughs> like I missed 80 some days of my senior year. I was like an academic nightmare. Yeah. It wasn't because okay. I, was, I lacked intelligence. I just lacked attendance. Like I didn't go. And when I did go, I was high as a kite. So I kind of like laughed at her because I, I always thought that college was out of reach because of what I had done, because of who I was when I was in school. And so she introduced me to this office of vocational rehabilitation, which every state has, mm-hmm. and said, just sit down, just take a meeting with this guy and hear him out and, and see what he has to offer. And so sure enough, I met with him. And not only did he explain to me that, you know, it was possible that I could apply, but that there was funding available and, you know, really opened up this door for me. So I applied to Penn State. Wow. In my admissions essay was the first time that I shared my story outside of like the safe confines of a 12-step meeting or my therapist's office. Whoa. Yeah. And I kind of just laid it on the line. I thought, well, yeah. right about adversity. Well, here you go. Like, yeah. <laughs> here it is. Come at me. Here we go. Yeah. I'm like, you want to talk adversity? Let's go. Yeah. And so I got in. I got accepted. And I started at Penn State in January of 1999. Wow. And, yeah. And I, I, I loved it. I, I, I jokingly, I say this in the book. It's like, I woke up the catatonic, you know, comatose 
person and, you know, that straight A student returned and I just was, I had missed so much, like not even just basic, like my first math class. (laughs) It was like literally like one plus one. Yeah. Like it was so remedial that I was like, you've got to be joking, but it had to be because I never took the courses that were appropriate for college. So it was very humbling and really exciting. And then what was also going on for me at that time um, is I was a train wreck in the love department. And so Mm. I was just bulldozing through bodies because Mm. that's what I knew to do, right? Taking those hostages. Of course. Yeah. And (laughs) this whole concept of living brutally honest in recovery and this whole, your secrets will keep you sick. Well, there was a secret I was keeping that I had known about since kindergarten. And that's that I was gay. Like I knew I was gay in kindergarten. I can tell you the girl I had my first crush on. I can still see her in my mind's eyes. There were times in my life when I tried to kind of naturally express this attraction towards, um, towards girls and women. And mm-hmm. I got really negative messaging back and mm-hmm. all of that is kind of in my memoir. Right. So it was yet another thing that I drank over and I used over and I was totally fucking confused about, like I stuffed it. Mm-hmm. And, but as I started being this kind of sober person and, and trying to be honest and trying to not live with secrets, I was like, oh. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. A common misconception about relationships is that they have to be easy to be right. But sometimes the best ones happen when you put the work in to make them great. Therapy can be a place to work through the challenges you face in all your relationships, whether with your friends, work, your significant other, or most importantly, yourself. My biggest fear is that I was unlovable, that something was just not good enough or deserving of love. My therapist has helped me to see that my thoughts are not necessarily the truth. Therapy has helped me overcome these limiting beliefs that were keeping me in unhealthy patterns in my life. We are our own worst critic, and I love that my therapist reminds me of how far I have come. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out the brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Become your own soulmate, whether you're looking for one or not. Visit betterhelp.com A-S-G-G today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash A-S-G-G. I got to This is a doozy. I mean, I, I got I to gotta pull this one out. Mm-hmm. So I, I did. And I did. How? I know, right? <laughs> I met somebody in, in, you know, the, in the rooms and that kind of confirmed for me that, yep, this is, this is it. Okay. Yeah. And so I, you know, then I decided to come out. So I slowly started to come out to, to family and friends. Um, and I didn't, at the same time, I'm, I'm a freshman at Penn state and I'm, um, getting involved in activities. And so I didn't just like gently come out of the closet. I came flying out of the closet. <laughs> like I went all in. I joined every conceivable, if it, if it had a rainbow on it, I joined that organization. Like yeah. I, you know, I got really involved in activism. I would tell you, I got was dogmatic. I shaved my head. I stopped wearing makeup. I I applied this kind of like veneer to myself that I thought this is what a lesbian is supposed to look like. Right. Yeah. I think we all have done that. <laughs> yes. We've all been in that, that kind of um, developmental phase of being like a young, a young yeah. lesbian, but also it was really purposeful for me because for like 10 years, I just put on this facade and I, I just acted the part, right? Mm. I put the makeup on, I did the hair, I wore the clothes, but none of it really ever was who I was. And so I think shaving my head and stopping the makeup and not wearing provocative clothing and stripping myself, like really just down to my core, mm-hmm. I really was able to discover myself and really, I was really able to fall in love with myself, which was important. Wow. Healing was really yeah. important my healing. Cause I like hated myself and you know, I, I did all the makeup and the hair and all that because it was just a way to cover up what I hated seeing in the mirror every day. Right. And so for me, I needed to strip all that away in order to really determine like, who am I? And it turns out I am so uber femme and that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love makeup, I love hair, like, you yeah. know, 
<laughs> I am, yeah, I'm like the opposite of what I thought I was supposed to look like. And that's okay, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. Um, I think I've definitely had, you know, the short haircuts, definitely yeah. a lot of flannel. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uniform. Yeah, 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 the uniform. Um, yeah, and it's like you said, you you kind of have to like find like your baseline, and then and then go from there, and and add in like parts of yourself. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and and kind of like screw what stereotypes in society says. Like you are right. who you are, regardless. Right. Yes. Yeah. So so yeah. So I came out and I got super active um, on campus, and mm -hmm. I started working really closely with the Black Caucus mm -hmm. and started getting really um, educated on civil rights issues. And, and it was to an embarrassing degree because, like I said, I was comatose for ten years. I didn't know about discrimination. I didn't know about civil rights. Mm -hmm. I didn't like. I didn't know shit. I was drunk and I was high, so right. I was really oblivious to so much. And as I began to educate myself. I started getting really angry and mm. action oriented. And so if, you know, during that time, this was, so this would be around like the two thousands, Penn state has always been a little bit of a hostile place for anyone, not white and male mm -hmm. period, full stop. And yep. but during this time, it was really um, a heightened time of real hatred and our hate groups were really organized and, and coming out and, there was just a lot of hate activity to the degree that like there were death threats. Um, the, the president of the black caucus was walking around campus with a bulletproof vest and an FBI agent assigned to her because her death threats were so severe. Like it was wow. a bad time at Penn state. Yeah. If you Google it, we, we ended up having this 10 day protest on campus to like get the administration to like wake up and pay attention to this, right. which we, you know, sort of kind of politically correctly did. Mm. But um, so I became a victim of a hate crime. Oh. And I, I was, yeah, I was targeted and um, got some death threats. And then it was interesting when I, when I, when, when the person who kind of did this to me was charged yeah. without like 80 million details, um, I started to learn what victims rights were. Mm -hmm. I didn't know. So I was going to college to be a drug and alcohol therapist. I okay. thought I just like, this is, this is my jam. This saved my life. I want to give back what I've been given. Right. It's like, that right. And then I pivoted to this world that I didn't even know existed. And that was criminal justice and victims rights. Like I didn't know that advocates existed. I never right. had one. And yeah. here's this advocate that's like, Hey, I'm here to help you. And I'm like, what, where the hell have you been for like freaking 20 years? So, <laughs> <laughs> I really like invested and I yeah. moved to Harrisburg and I moved to Harrisburg to fight for hate crime, um, inclusive hate crime laws because we did not have them at that time in Pennsylvania. And then that spun into a career in victim services. And that's where I've been um, for the last. When you change your relationship with alcohol, you realize you have so many hours in the day. I love to dedicate my time to skincare and Osea makes me and my skin feel and look like a queen. Osea's clean, vegan, and sustainable body care is a glowing choice for achieving your body care and self-care goals. Whenever I use the Andaria Algae Body Butter, people literally stop me on the street. My skin is flawless and glowing, and I love the thick and unbelievably rich texture that absorbs instantly. Skincare is a habit worth keeping all year round. Osea can help your skin have a healthy glow every day. Because let's be honest, skincare is self-care. With over 27 years of seaweed-infused products, Osea is safe on your skin and the planet. It is clean, vegan, and cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified. Never choose between your values and your best skin. Start the new year fresh with clean vegan skincare and body care from Osea. Right now, we have a special discount just for our listeners. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code ASGG at OseaMalibu.com. You'll get free samples with every order and free shipping on orders over $60. Head to OseaMalibu.com and use code ASGG for 10% off. 20 years. Working. Wow. Yeah. So holy smokes. <laughs> I mean, that is an incredible, incredible story. Yeah. Thank 
thank God you wrote a book. I know, I know. <laughs> I t- well, I've written like four now, five technically, oh um, four that are, are like, you know, published actual paperback books. And, yeah. and it's funny too, because I started writing literally in rehab. And as I, as I kind of moved through all these experiences, I kept writing because writing was a big pillar of my healing. Yeah. Um, like it really, it was just where I went to empty the contents of my head on any given day. And whether that was past experiences or current challenges, writing was my jam. That, like, that's mm-hmm. just what I did. And so it was funny. I was also an avid reader and I loved reading other people's stories, right? Because I felt mm-hmm. seen and I felt heard. And my challenge in, you know, the early 2000s is I couldn't find my story out there, right? Like mm-hmm. I couldn't find the story of the queer kid who was raped and then went to drug and alcohol. Like, I, like all of those elements, just they weren't there. Mm-hmm. And so as I wrote and wrote and wrote, I thought, well, you know what? Maybe, maybe my story is, could be that for other people. And so I remember I, um, I started like querying on, like I started Googling, like, how to get an agent? How do you write a book? How do you yeah. publish a book? And I literally through Google searches figured out my way through the publishing system. And I, one of the tips that I saw on one of the websites was look at the literature of the people you respect and then find out who they work with. And I remember I loved ah. Yeah. Yeah. It's like really smart, right? So if you're yeah. a writer there, that's a good tip, right? Look at who their agents are. Look at the acknowledgement section of their books, see who they thank, see who represents them, but look at who publishes them. And so I was really big into Melody Baby, right? I think, I feel like we're all indoctrinated into the Melody Baby world of codependency when we get sober. Um, Yes. (laughs) Yes. Right. So, yes, yes. yes. (laughs) So like language of letting go was like on my toilet. I read it every day. Like that was, you know, it was, it was in my recovering life. And so I saw Hazelden and I thought, Mm -hmm. all right, well. I'm going to write to Hazelden. Now I had written to like 80 million other agents and publishers. And I had a wall of rejection letters, you know, a mile long. And when I reached out to Hazelden, they responded and said, you know, we, we want to tell your story. We want to publish your book. No way. Yeah. And that's how Blackout Girl was born. Yeah. Yep. What? Yeah. That so that is was, so cool. Yeah. It was really, it was really amazing. And, you know, the the writing process and the editing process with them has just been phenomenal. And, mm-hmm. you know, but blackout girl came out in 2008 right. and it was um, really ahead of its time. We weren't talking about sexual violence the way that we are today. And we certainly weren't talking about addiction the way we are today. And Not so, at all. We also, it came out at the height of the economic recession. So <laughs> Like the housing crisis hit and blackout girl came out and I was like, well, I'm screwed. (laughs) (laughs) But it managed to, to really still get out. And, um, and then I, you know, I, I've since traveled with the book and I do a lot of keynotes and a lot of workshops. That's my favorite thing to do is to get out and speak. And then I wrote a couple other books and, you know, in 2016, this fever pitch conversation around sexual violence happened. The Me Too movement happened. Yep. And I had been working with a lot of really high profile survivors throughout mm-hmm. the years, as Pennsylvania seems to have a lot of high profile cases. And this, this link between addiction and sexual trauma just kept coming back, coming back. And it's this mm-hmm. reoccurring theme. And so I really wanted to elevate that conversation. I thought, here we are talking about Me Too, talking about sexual violence and liberating voices and stories mm-hmm. all over the world at the same time as we are having the worst addiction crisis in our history. And they are connected, but no one's talking about them in that way. Right. You know, and, and yeah. I think... So one of the things I, I wanted to do is I approached Hazelden again. And I said, hey, I think, you know, can we, re, can we republicize Blackout Girl? Let me add some content. Let me, you know, kind of infuse what I've learned since then. And they were completely on board. And so wow. that's what the second edition is. It's really, it's updated. It's got more content, some more chapters. But then as I was doing that, I thought there's, there's another piece that's missing here. And, you know, in these conversations that we've had about sexual violence around the Me Too movement, they've been amazing. They've been empowerful. They mm-hmm. are, they've been empowering. They've changed people's lives. There's been accountability and belief, um, which is so vitally important. What we haven't done is really helped with the healing side. 
So we've opened yeah. up all these wounds, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. You couldn't avoid sexual violence. You turned on your TV, it was there. You turned on your Twitter feed, it was there. Like, so if you were a survivor, there was no way to continue to avoid what may have happened to you, which as we know, almost 90 some percent of women with addiction issues, sexual violence is a part of their story. Yep. And then I started seeing reports of women dying at, at the highest rates we've ever seen from alcoholism. Right. And it, you know, I, I just needed to elevate this conversation. So I, I started to write again mm-hmm. and that's how awakening blackout girl was born. And it was, this is really, for me, it's, it's very memoir, but also a self-help book. And it's really mm-hmm. about how I went through all of my shit and dealt yeah. with it all and healed those pieces of myself in the hopes that maybe some of these resources can work for you too. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, putting kind of like actions and like what you have done and, and the resources there, like that's exactly how people are going to heal. Yeah. Yeah. And we have to talk uh, about things that we consider taboo, like yeah. sex and intimacy. And yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, I have a question. <laughs> After everything you have been through, how do you go about relationships and sex? Yeah. How um, do you get into it? How do I, well, how do I get into it? <laughs> Today. No. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, kind of like, like, how do you, how do you kind of work through that and, and come out kind of on the other side and, and open yourself up to maybe a relationship or like to having sex, like sober sex, like how? Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, it, it's been a very long process. And mm-hmm. interestingly enough, it has been the, the issue that I never thought I was going to resolve. And it's been the one that has brought me back to therapy time and time again, this issue of sex and intimacy combined and also separate. And so I had been in a lot of relationships. um, And when I met my wife and I finally found my, my person, right. Mm -hmm. um, We had a lot of challenges in in that area. Mm -hmm. And the good thing about Fiona, my wife's name is Fiona. The beautiful thing about Fiona and I is we have always committed to open communication, open, honest. Yeah. And so we, we created safe spaces for each other to cry, to be frustrated, to make mistakes. Um, and the one thing, so my wife is not a survivor of sexual violence. I used to, I used to think I had to be with another survivor for them to understand me. Right. But I, I can appreciate now that that's not the case. She, it's taken a lot more communication, right? Okay. But when there's a partner that's willing, you know, mm. they're willing to come to the table and, and, you know, they put their stuff on and you put your stuff on the table, you know, they don't have to have the exact same experiences as you to understand. Yeah. Um, wife is sober by choice. Cool. Yeah. Like, where does that come from? Yeah. <laughs> so I call my wife a magical unicorn. And mainly because like, I had never met anyone who was sober by choice. Everyone I had ever dated yeah. was still drank because I couldn't find anyone in sobriety. And we, you know, I know we'll get to that at some point. I couldn't find anyone in sobriety that, that, uh, that I just, I clipped with. Right. Uh, and being gay on top of that, like the, right. the was so small. Oh and, yeah. <laughs> and, and it's small and it's even more um, polluted than the other pools because it is so small. Mm-hmm. So I had a really hard time finding partnership in, in the, the rooms of recovery. And mm-hmm. so when, like I said, when I met her, I was just, um, I had just always grown accom- accustomed to dealing with people who drank casually, but obviously it created problems in relationships. Right. Right. Um, and so, but sex was one of those areas. And I think, so for me as a survivor and I've in talking with so many other survivors, mm-hmm. it's always felt like just, um, a side effect of being a rape victim is that you'll never have a fulfilling sexual life that Mm -hmm. it'll always be in some way marred by that experience. And I, and that was, and that was also like a bullshit story I told myself for like a really long time. Right. Um, Because when you have such ingrained trauma around sexual violence, Mm -hmm. 
it's, it's really hard. And you know, your body remembers like, right. Like our, 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 literally our skin has memory. Yeah. So touch is different for us. Consent is different for us. Um, everything it's just everything is kind of looked upon through that lens of violation and mistrust right and I always like wanted to get past that but I never thought I could Mm -hmm. and it wasn't until this last year and a half in writing this book and really like it wasn't even therapy like I had gone my wife and I have gone to therapy talked about it done all the things you're supposed to do blah 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 none of it really ever made any real impact it wasn't until I started really writing this book that this past year I actually have healed that part of myself. Wow. And I don't have for the most part any of the same um, trauma triggers around sex that I have, that I thought I was just going to have to live with the rest of my life. Right. And so that has been incredibly liberating and beautiful and freeing um, and exciting. And, you know, so like my wife and I have, have had some of the best sex we've ever had in our lives and in our, in, in our relationships, because we're at this, like in just this beautiful place where yeah. I have been able to heal some of those parts. So I don't know. Did I answer your question? <laughs> yeah. A moral of the story is buy the damn book. <laughs> yeah, buy, buy a weekly black alcohol, but I think it's so, okay. To get to, but to, time. The time. Of, yeah, to get to the core of your question though, I had to start yeah. with myself. Right. So when you are trespassed upon, um, whether it's once, twice, by one person, by multiple people, for me it was multiple people, and then let's be honest, my relationships and addiction were a, were a hot mess. The majority of the sex I had, you could say, was probably non-consensual, but not sexual assault, right? right. Like I was blacked out, drunk out of my mind, a total mess. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they just didn't lend themselves to like really good sexual experiences, uh, and I had really bad messaging and really bad information. Right. And I had to start with myself. Mm. And in my second book, I wrote a book called Leave the Light On. And it's really about um, what it was like for me to go to college and the the very early days of recovery. And I write about masturbation. Mm. And I write about having to like trust my own touch first. Yeah. To learn and explore my own body. you know, and then inviting others to do that. And, and then having patience to learn their bodies. And it, it's, it's, it's a lot, right? Like, yeah. And it's, it can be uncomfortable and you've got to find the right person that's willing to go there with you because otherwise you, you could end up having other damaging experiences or right. some really hurtful experiences. Right. Yeah. yeah, I mean that willingness, that yeah. willingness to show up, to learn, to work through things yeah. is and essential. Me, yeah, and to not put your shit on your partner. Right. I was doing that to yes. so much. I was just like shoveling my shit on her and being like, this is your stuff. This is, and, and not yeah. literally not seeing clearly that it was my shit. Right. Um, and so a lot of self-awareness, man, recovery, like I've, I've said this for 20 years, my biggest tool in recovery is my self-awareness and my willingness to continue to become aware of myself because at the end of the day, it's me and my brain and my attitude that I have to contend with on a given day. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Jennifer, you are incredible. Like. (laughs) <laughs> that your story and just the way you articulate things and explain things is so refreshing and it's so nice to listen to you. It's so lovely. It's so easy um, to, to hear you explain and, and educate. And this new book sounds fantastic and like a great resource to really help people truly heal this trauma. I really hope it does because people yeah. deserve that. Like, yes. Yeah, the fact that I walked around for 20 years thinking that I didn't deserve a, a great orgasm and, and, and intimacy and love on a level that is meaningful and deep, like that's incredibly sad to me. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of survivors and a lot of people in recovery feel that way. Yeah. Like there is healing and there is hope. And so I just, I want to be able to give that away to as many people as I can. Yes. Oh, I love that. Jennifer, where can people find you? So I have a website, jenniferstorm.com. Okay. I'm really active on social media. I love my Instagram account. Storm119 
Um, 11, nine, that's my sobriety date. So that that's in a lot of my handles. Um, so you know, typically I'm all over Facebook and Instagram. I love to connect with people. I will respond to every single message I get because I absolutely love to hear from people. Um, so yeah, reach out. I love that. Thank you so, so much for sharing your story, your experience, your knowledge. This has been so lovely talking to you. Sure. I'd love to give someone a copy of Awakening. So I don't know if you have okay. a if you have a way of like randomly selecting a listener or somebody on your Instagram account, but I will um, personalize a copy and give, give one away if that's something. And there's also a journal. Um, okay. Publisher just put out a journal and I can, I can put a journal with it. Let's do a giveaway. Yes. Yes. Go. Okay. Right now, if you're listening to this, go to my Instagram, a sober girl's guide, and we are going to have the giveaway up there for a chance to win Jennifer's goodies. Awesome. Yay. I love it. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you. No, thank you. What a powerful story and powerful conversation. If you want to win a copy of Jennifer's new book, head to Instagram and enter our contest to win a copy of Jen's new book. Head to a sober girl's guide. As always, thank you so much for listening. Couldn't do this without you. Make sure to follow, like, subscribe, rate, leave a comment. We love to hear your feedback about the podcast. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at A Sober Girls Guide and the blog. Don't forget about the blog. Head to asobergirlsguide.com for all your tips, tricks, workbooks, worksheets, journals, you name it. We got you covered. We even literally have you covered with some super sexy sober girl swag. Head to asobergirlsguide.com and pick yours up today. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.